0: the last few weeks I've been answering your questions and addressing topics sort of by request. Uh, last week we talked about God's name and uh, I actually had a couple follow-up questions uh, so let me do a quick follow-up um, before I introduce this morning's topic. Uh, someone asked last week uh, what are we saying when we say hallelujah and I noticed that we were singing hallelujah a lot in one of our songs this morning so I thought yeah let's go ahead and, and answer that. So um, The Yah in Hallelujah is from Yahweh. It's a reference to God's name. In fact, uh, in the Bible, it's somewhat common for names to include Yah or El. Last week, we talked about how um, El means God, and uh, Yahweh is God's personal name that he revealed to, to Moses. So Yah or El come up in biblical names like Gabriel, Ezekiel, Daniel. You understand what I'm saying? Um, also, uh, likewise, Jeremiah, Hezekiah, Josiah, uh, names like that. And hallelujah also has uh, God's name built right into it. And it means, uh, it means praise you, Yahweh. It means, we, it means we praise you. Praise you. And it's a joyous kind of praise. It's, a, it's an uplifting, joyful praise. So that's what it means when we say hallelujah. So now you know. And you've got no excuse. Okay. Next time you sing hallelujah, be happy about it, okay? Be happy about it. The other question I got was, um, if Yahweh is what God wants us to call him, why don't we call him that? Well, that's just a really good question, okay? Um, The simple answer is that uh, we have the name of Jesus. And Colossians 2 tells us that in him all the fullness of God dwells. And so we have a personal name for God, and it's Jesus Christ. So... Uh, we don't need to. I don't think stay away from calling God Yahweh, uh, but we need to be careful for two reasons. One, we shouldn't. We can't use His name in vain, like it means nothing. Um, and also, we can't use it so much that it becomes a part of pop culture. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because you can hear people in culture say, you know, say God like it means nothing. And so we have to be extra careful to protect um, God's name, Yahweh because all you know if you hear you know a rap song and someone's talking about Yahweh you're going oh no like this this is this is a problem because God takes his name very personally right so anyway I think just we have to be careful about it but um yeah I think that's the short the short answer is we 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 talk about God uh we call him Jesus and that's that is his all right, so let's, today, let's talk about change. Oh, you don't sound excited. Oh, my gosh. Someone told me one time that nobody likes change. Even babies cry when you change them. And, <laughs> and it's true. I just don't think anybody likes it. Um, last year, while I was still really fresh at, at Monterey, I changed some stuff. And I paid the price. Do you remember when I tried to change our donuts? And we had donut holes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we went from full-size donuts to donut holes, oh, man, I heard about it. And I heard about it, and I heard about it, and I heard about it. And I'm looking at some of you, and you're like, I know, I know. Uh, Yeah, so look, I mean, we tried it. Uh, In fact, when we moved the donuts from the fellowship hall with coffee and stuff over to the foyer, I heard about that. There, was a, there were a, a number of people who had lots of serious, serious concerns about moving the, the things from here to there, even though it was designed for it over here. So, but I did some stuff. Okay, I changed the bulletin. Where's John? Is John in here? John's not in here. I changed the bulletin, boy, there's a story behind it. Do you want to know the story? You don't want to know the story. Essentially, the story was that John was in the hospital that week, my very first week, and I had to have something printed. So it was either do something from scratch on my own or have nothing. So I did something from scratch, and everyone was like, oh, 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 what's going on around here? What's going on? There's no order of service. And I was like, I didn't have one. So anyway, we were working on it. We are working on it. And, uh, and John got out of the hospital, and he was like, well, thanks for pulling the Band-Aid fast. And I was like, no, I didn't do it on purpose. You just weren't here, and I, no one knew how to do it except for you. So uh, in any case, there's, that's sort of the story behind it. But I paid the price, okay? I paid the price, and I had some conversations, and, you know, and I knew that it was coming. Um, there's a—basically, uh, when I came to this church— I knew everyone was saying, not everyone, but for the most part, the church was saying, we're open to change. I also knew that at the same time, every church health expert out there says that a new pastor going into a church has to expect the church to say, we're open to change as long as you don't change my stuff. And so I knew going in that every stuff belongs to somebody, so anything that needs to get changed is going to have some pushback from the people who have sort of ownership over those things. So I knew it was, I knew it was coming. Uh, I knew coming in that that's the way it was going to be. And so when people came to me with concerns that this is normal, this is normal, but I, I tried to help walk them through why we were changing things so that they could understand it, and I think that gave a lot of peace to some people's hearts. Uh, and then I also tried to take them back to what's the appropriate way for us to handle change as it comes up. So not only here is why we're changing it, but what's the right way for you to deal with change um, as it comes up in life and in, and in the church? Because that's my job, right? I'm trying to take people back biblically to what the Bible says about how to handle it. And that's, I'm, I'm the pastor, I'm the shepherd. That's my job, that's what I do. It was in one of these conversations that someone told me, you should preach this to the church. And so it's, it's a year later, and I'm sorry for, for, uh, for waiting this long, but this morning we're going to talk about uh, a biblical understanding of how to deal with change. Let's start with an observation. It's just something that we see in, uh, in God's creation. The, f- the first observation is that healthy living things change. Can we agree? Can we agree? Healthy living things change. Think about something that's healthy and alive and isn't changing at all. It's not going through anything. You can't. Healthy living things change. If it's alive and healthy, it's changing. Change is healthy. Growth is healthy. Growth requires change. You don't have to like it, okay, but understand that it's generally a good sign. And while change is necessary for growth and for life, We also know that among people, change paves the way for division. Because anytime you change something, there are going to be some people who liked it the old way, and some people who like it the new way. There's always going to be potential for people to take sides on those issues, and for us to be divided. And really, that's the concern. That's the concern. Change is not a concern biblically. The Bible's not really concerned about change at all. The cha- the, 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 that change brings something the Bible is concerned about, division. That's the issue. So biblically, the concern is that we want you to, to endure change, to go through change, but to not become divided. So you, you go through it, but we s- stop short of dividing over these changes that, that are happening. So how do we do that? How do we go through changes, Without dividing, change is inevitable. Guys, I'm not going to explain how to avoid change. We can't avoid it. We want to avoid division. So how do we go through the changes and disagreements without dividing? Well, the book of 1 Corinthians is actually the perfect book for this. It has a lot to share with us about how to go through things without dividing because it was written to a church that had crossed that line and become divisive. The church in Corinth had become divisive, and so we're going to use the book. We're going to be jumping around a little bit. You're going to want to grab your Bibles this morning, but most of this is also in your outline. Um, The Apostle Paul wrote this letter. He wrote 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. It's written to a church. He knew that church really well. He was there. He knew them. He knew the people. He liked them, okay, uh, he probably planted that church or helped plant that church. And so he was—he knew what was going on with them. He cares about the people who are there. We'll start in uh, in chapter 1. This is 1 first, first Corinthians chapter 1. And we find in this opening chapter exactly why Paul is writing this letter. He spells it out for them really clearly. Uh, in your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to be reading verses... Uh, 10 and 11, it's also in your outline. Paul writes, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So here's what's going on. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is, um, he's out and about in Asia Minor, and some people from the church in Corinth left that church, that, and he calls them Chloe's people, so it would be like me saying, you know, Donna's people, right? If I left and was, was in another state, and then I wrote a letter to you guys saying, hey, Donna's people." who are, whoever your people are, right? Donna's people came to me and told me all the stuff that's been going on at, at your church. So that's what happened is Paul has uh, got visitors from the church in Corinth and they've, they've shared with him that there's quarreling. There is a disagreement in the church. There is division. So he's encouraging them to be united. In fact, in my Bible, the first two pages of first corinthians have two different sections labeled divisions in the church this letter is all about dealing with your issues without dividing it's the entire letter so we're going to jump around we're going to look at it but the entire letter is about dealing with your issues without dividing as you go through the letter you'll find that people in their church had taken sides on things like get this what to wear in church They take insides. What's appropriate to wear in church and what's not appropriate to wear in church? How to order the service. They take insides. What's the right way to order the service? How to observe the Lord's Supper. They take insides. How to observe the Lord's Supper. Which gifts matter more? Who's most important in the church? And guys, honestly, those are still issues that, that churches today still argue about. What's the right thing to wear? What's the right order to do things? You know, I, you know, when I came to this church, I changed the order of service a little bit. And like I said, I paid the price. I had to, had to have conversations for weeks talking about the order of service. Um, I've been criticized for what I wear, right? Presently, I'm wearing short sleeves. I'm also not tucked in. I know. I also wear sneakers, because I have to jump up on stage, which also bothers people sometimes. But really, every church still goes through these same issues, the same issues. And so it's very relevant. I'm not, I'm not pointing those things out to pick on you for picking on me or anything like that, but I'm saying that it is relevant today And churches all over the place. So let's pay attention. It's important to note that for this particular church, the church in Corinth, when they took sides on an issue, they took their ground, they stood their ground, and they held on to their position with pride. They would say say things like, this is the right way to do it. This is how our Lord did it. This is how... My parents did it. This is how we were taught. You know, this is the way that Paul taught us. I saw Paul do this when he was here, right? They were taking their positions with pride. This is the right way. And then they were looking down on the people who were doing it the other way. They took their positions with pride. So we're going to start there because Paul starts there with the solution to all of this division. How do we go through all of this stuff? without dividing? What's the solution? We're going to pull out three points from the letter, starting with 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is uh, verse 6. He says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, let me give you some context for that to understand that. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul took deliberate shots at their pride. And he's saying things like, you don't know the mind of God. And he's saying things like, you're not actually wise. You don't really know what's going on. You have no business to look down on the other people in your church. The boasting that he's talking about here, he's talking about the pridefulness of their positions. That when they take a position on an issue they do it with a lot of pride, and they're sort of boasting in their position. In other words, what he's saying is that when you take a position on something in pride, it's unhealthy for everyone around you. A little bit of pride goes a long way, amen? And not in a good way. So when you've got pride, it sort of ruins the whole batch. So if, so if we have, we're dealing with something in the church... Or in your personal life, if you have a position, but you have it with pride, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leak out, and then the people who are responding are also going to have to respond in pride, and so now everyone's being puffed up in pride, and it's not good. It's not good. If you take that kind of position, not in humility, but with pride, it's unhealthy for everyone around you. It's unhealthy for the church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul spends the whole chapter talking about how he has surrendered his rights. He says, look, I have a right to this and I have a right to that and I have a right to that. But for Jesus, I give up all my rights. He says to the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some, and I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That I don't Look, I'm an apostle, but you see me walking around to, holding my positions with pride? No, I do everything that I can. I lower myself and I become like the people around me so that I can win people over for Jesus. That's the right way. That's the right way. That's not pride. That's humility. So when things come up, there's no place for pride or boasting. Instead, we're supposed to handle differences of opinion or preference with humility. That goes a long way toward not dividing us, right? So if if we disagree about something, but we're all being very humble about our opinion and the way that we look at it, we're not going to divide over that because I'm going to respect you because I've lo- I've 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 not I'm not holding my position up. I'm coming down and I'm trying to re- and I'm respecting you. We're not going to divide over that. So we have our positions with humility. Humility makes us like Jesus. Humility pushes us to see the other perspective and it allows the Holy Spirit to shine through. When we divide over things, when we are arguing about things, it's always interesting to me because you can almost always tell when someone, when someone comes into the conversation, not with the Holy Spirit, not from a place of humility because it doesn't bear the marks of the, the fruits of the Spirit. It's not, it's not love. You don't see love or joy. You don't see patience or kindness or you don't see faithfulness or gentleness. You don't see those kinds of marks of the Holy Spirit. But you do when you start here, because we allow God to rise up and for his will to be more important than ours. So we approach it with humility, and that stops us from dividing. If we start there, another issue Paul brings up, it's somewhat related, I think it's probably the next step, is what should we be fighting for? If we're gonna fight, what should what are what what kinds of ways should we be fighting? And all throughout this letter, specifically um, in chapter 8, apparently some people in the church had started eating meat that had been previously sacrificed to idols. And the more pious people in the church were criticizing them and pridefully looking down on them for eating that meat, saying that it's wrong and it's bad and it doesn't honor God. And that created division in their church. But Paul stepped in. He basically said, stop arguing about it. Let these people eat the meat if it doesn't bother them and let those people refrain if it does bother them. But here's the kicker. We find it in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13. He says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble... I'll never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Here's here's what's important to understand about that. We're not supposed to take our position with pride. We're supposed to take our position with a lot of humility. But something that we are supposed to be pretty valiant about and pretty uh, aggressive about is taking care of my brother. Taking care of the other person. And in this case... My brother is the person on the other side of the issue. I'm supposed to stand up for them, and they're supposed to stand up for me. That's the right way to do it. That's what honors Christ. It comes up multiple times in this letter. He's always coming back to this idea number two on your outline. Be concerned for others not yourself be concerned for others not yourself so take your position with humility not pride and if you want to fight for something fight for the other person not for yourself in regards to food he said you can eat it if it doesn't bother you but don't eat it in a way that would bother someone else or cause them to sin in chapter 6 he said that it would be better to suffer a wrong than to air out our dirty laundry in public and push people away from Christ. So understand that he's saying that if someone did something to you in the church and it hurt you, it would be better for you just to eat it. Just deal with it than for you to make a big case about it and open it up to everyone in the community so that they would know the kind of conflict that you're having. He says, look, if that's, the, if, if that's your solution, you've already lost. What are you trying to win? You've already lost. The whole thing's a failure. Just eat it. Because we care about the other people. Care about what other people will see. In chapter 10, he said, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. It's this same idea. And in chapter 12, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And he says, the gifts are given for the common good. They're not for you. They're not for your benefit. They're not for you to hold on to and, uh, and take pride in, they're not for you, they're for everyone else, they're for the common good. Then uh, later in the letter, in 1 Corinthians, Paul very clearly starts to address the diversity in their church, and in all churches. He uses the imagery of a body, with uh, many different parts, different body parts, hands and feet and eyes, right, you got all these different parts of your body. And he's describing how churches have all different kinds of people, different preferences, different gifts, different levels of maturity. We're all kinds of different. In chapter 12, he's talking about diversity in the church. Chapter 12, he's talking about diversity. But he keeps repeating the idea that we're one. We're one body. We have one God and one spirit And in our differences, we're supposed to care for one another, right? So again, he's going back to this idea from point two. But he builds on that. And then in chapter 13 is an immediate follow-up to chapter 12. So 12 is all about diversity. We're all kinds of different. We're different in every way. We do different things. We think different ways. We have different experiences. We've got all these differences, all of these differences. Look around. All kinds of differences. But we need to stay together. We can't divide. So how do we do that? How do we have all of these differences, but we don't divide? At the end of chapter 12, he says, I'll show you a more excellent way. And this is what he says. Chapter 13 is where Paul really answers the question. And people call this the love chapter. You've heard it at weddings. I guarantee it. Been to a wedding? You've heard something from 1 Corinthians 13 at a wedding. But it's really, in how Paul writes it, it's a response directly to how our differences threaten to divide us. Because the whole book is about that. How do we respond when our differences threaten to divide us? Paul presents the solution as love. He says that love is the cure for division in the church, even particularly in the worship service. And I'm presenting it as the proper way to experience change in the church. He starts chapter 13 by saying that you could have all the greatest powers and abilities. You could have all of the faith. You could have all of the knowledge. He says you could have the answers to all the mysteries of the universe. Things that you would rub a lamp and ask a genie for, right? You could have all of that stuff. You could have all the riches. You could have faith that would move mountains. You could have all of the answers. But if you don't have love, it's worthless. It's worthless. It's got nothing. It's got no value. Love is what makes all of it matter. And here's how he describes love. This is 1 Corinthians 13. Four through seven. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Love doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Logan, leave that up on the slide for a minute. Let's just talk about that a little bit. Love, it doesn't envy or boast. Love wants what's good for others. It wants what's best for others. That's why you wouldn't boast in love or be envious in love, because you want what's good for others. There's no, nothing to boast about, nothing to be envious about. Love is patient It withholds judgment. Another translation says that it is long-suffering, that it suffers long. It withholds judgment and it waits. It's patient. It doesn't jump quick to judgment. Love doesn't hope something goes wrong. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't wait for someone to mess up and say, See, I knew it. I knew it. That's not love. In church, in your family, with your friends, in the community, that's not love. Love doesn't insist on its own way. We've all got preferences. We've all got opinions about how we should do things. But in church, we're called to love. And love doesn't stand up and say, here's what I want. What about me? Love doesn't insist on getting its own way. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love is humble. Love is about others. It's not about me and what I want. Love isn't about making me happy. So we avoid division, number three, if we walk through changes with love. In life, you cannot avoid change. I'm sorry. You can't. Think about any part of your life, your house. Does your house change? I have a a, a leaky shower head in one of our bathrooms. Yes, it wasn't like that (laughs) a couple weeks ago, right? Your house changes. Your relationships change. Your finances change. Your body changes. Uh, Robert was pointing out to me that I've got some gray hairs coming in. Thank the Lord. Your body doesn't change. Your health doesn't change. And some of those changes are bad. Some of those changes are not. Change isn't always good. But change is unavoidable. You can't avoid change. What you can control is how you do. Deal with change. How do you deal with it? With humility, by not taking a position of pride and looking down on other people who disagree with you. By being concerned for the other people, the people who are take a different position, have a concern for them. Let them have a concern for you, and you go through these changes with love, with patience. By not insisting that you have your own way. I mean, I could stare at my shower head and be like, no! What's it gonna do? You can't just insist on having your own way. And I'm being silly talking about my shower head, but in, in church, in your families, in relationships, you can't, love does not insist on having its own way, it insists on the good of others. Because it starts off in a place of humility. So go through change with love. As things change, try to learn something and grow. Instead of being critical and judgmental. You can still have your preference. Like Paul said with the people who had a disagreement about whether or not they should eat the meat. You can have harmony together. As long as you, as long as you start off with humility and love and respect, you can find a place where you can coexist. As things change, go beyond humility and put your neighbor first. This is what's going to keep us together. Because any place where you have so many differences, age differences, style preferences, we've got so many differences. Love. Love is the solution. Humility and sacrifice, those are the solutions, biblically. Because the truth is that if we lean on our preferences, we will always divide. If we lean on Christ, we will always thrive. i give you a, a quick example of that. Here at Monterey, A couple years ago, this church took a survey about music. I was not here. Don't blame me. But do you know what the results of that survey were? Has anyone ever told you what the results were? The question was do you want the music to stay the same, to be more traditional, or to be more contemporary? You've got three options keep it the same, make it more contemporary, or make it more traditional. And how did the church respond in the survey? You're right. And even split three ways. And that's horrifying for a pastor. Do you, can, you get, can you guess why? Because no matter what we do, two-thirds of you are, are not happy about that. So if we keep things just exactly the way that they are, the people that want it to be more contemporary are upset. The people who want it more traditional are upset. If we make it more traditional, the other two-thirds are not happy. If we make it more... No one's happy if we lean on our preferences. If we lean on our preferences, we will always divide. If we lean on Christ, we will be united and we will thrive. And churches for all of history have had things that they could divide over. But we go back to Jesus who has given his love for us in our hearts, that we can get over those things and we can get through those things without dividing. As your pastor, I want to see this church giving changes a chance. I'm not going to put donut holes back out. But I appreciate you giving it a chance. I do. I appreciate you giving it a chance. More than that, I want to see older people coming to me in our church and saying things like, Hey, Pastor Aaron, are we, are we doing enough newer songs to reach and minister to the younger people in our church, in our community? And I want to see the younger people in our church coming to me and saying, Pastor Aaron, are we doing enough traditional songs to really minister to the hearts of our, of our older people? Because guys, that's what's healthy in a church is when we stand up for the other, when we stand up for people on the other side, when we stand up and say, what about me and my stuff? It's not from a place of humility. It's not from a place of love. It threatens to divide us. And it's the very thing that Paul tells us not to do. It's normal, and no one's mad at you for doing it. But we have to stop being normal, and we have to be like Jesus. He's not normal. Amen? So that's how we go through changes in a way that honors Christ and keeps his body united with humility, sacrifice, and love. One of the passages that I used earlier, the one about boasting— I only read part of it. Let me read you the whole passage, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. The whole passage says, and this is uh, 1 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 6. It says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Guys, Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, gives us a way to leave the old things behind. The old leaven, the leaven that that Paul is using to describe the, the pridefulness that we have, He says that Jesus on the cross gives us a way to leave that behind and to move away from it and to become new, to be transformed. We can leave our discontent, our frustration, our fear, our anxiety behind, but you have to leave it all behind because a little bit that remains is going to ruin everything else that stays there. You have to sacrifice it all. The good news is that none of it's good for you anyway. It's like a diet. You can cut out things that are unhealthy, but you have to do it all. So let's today make a commitment this morning to leave those things behind, to leave them on the cross. And maybe for you that means you need to, ask for forgiveness you need to apologize maybe you need to change your attitude maybe that means you need to stop worrying about things stop having anxiety about things you need to trust the Lord as we take the Lord's Supper this morning the Bible tells us a couple things first it's only for believers if you haven't given your life to Jesus if he's not your Lord just as the as the, the elements come just pass it um, don't take it if 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 you're not a believer. And second, don't take it in an unworthy manner. As the ushers pass the cracker and the juice, they're stacked, so you're going to get one thing. The cracker is in the bottom cup. The juice is in the top cup. Reflect as you get it on what you need to leave behind in every part of your life. In your personal life, at church, in every part of your life. What are the things that you need to leave behind? What are the things that Jesus died so that you could walk away from? How do you pursue and commit yourself to humility, to sacrifice, and to love? Think about those things. Our ushers are gonna come. Donna's gonna play. We're gonna sing a song as we distribute um, the elements. And then we're gonna take them together after the song. But in the meantime, just reflect on what it is that God is calling you to to Jesus.